0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. The book of Revelation. We're looking at Revelations 19, 20, 21, and 22. 19 being talking about uh, the marriage supper, uh, the, the rapture of the church. And then uh, um, chapter 20, dealing with the millennial age. The, the kingdom age, it's going to be here on earth that you and I are going to be a part of, uh, reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Um, and then chapter 20, or excuse me, chapter 21, New Jerusalem, at the end of the millennium, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven uh, as a bride adorned for her husband. And, and chapter 21 talks about what New Jerusalem is going to look like. And then when we get to chapter 22, which is what we're going to look at this morning, is is uh, uh, chapter 21 is a view of the outside and kind of a description of the size of the city of New Jerusalem. Chapter 22, it really, the, the last first few verses kind of fit in with chapter 21. It's all the same vision. But that is, there John is getting a glimpse into New Jerusalem. Uh, you know, we can New Jerusalem, heaven. I mean, we could talk about it. It's all the same. So, uh, What we're looking at is what that final age, at least as far as we know, according to scriptures, that final age that we will be a part of and and what it's going to be like. And when you read the first uh, five verses of chapter 22, something jumps out at you and it's in there a lot and it's the word life. In chapter 22, the vision of what it is in New Jerusalem, it's life, it's abundant life. It's life as it was meant to be lived. you know I, you think of a baby, uh, a baby you know it's, it's in the womb and uh, it's all that it knows about life is the water you know it knows it knows that it's in a warm place. maybe it hears noises and it you know, maybe it's floating around a little bit you know um, that's life for an infant. that's all that the infant knows. But as soon as the infant's born, oh, man, now there's a whole world to discover. You know, I look at my grandson, Jonathan, and it's fun, you know, it's fun to watch him, you know, because, you know, a newborn infant, they're just kind of, you know, making noise and, you know, crying and pooping and stuff. But eventually, they start discovering their hands, you know, it's like their hands will focus. And then pretty soon you know, objects become a focus. I want to chew on that, you know, and everything goes in their mouth and stuff. But they're discovering the world around them, and it's like there's this whole new world to experience. And I think sometimes life for you and I is kind of like that. We're like that infant, you know. All we know is what we're experiencing right now in this life, but this is not life in its fullest sense. Life in its fullest sense is what we're going to experience when we get to heaven. Remember in uh, was it First Corinthians fourteen I think it is. No, not First Corinthians fourteen. Anyway, it's in First Corinthians I think. Believe it's First Corinthians, might be 2 Corinthians. Paul writes about a man who went, was caught up, and went into the third heaven. And I believe personally it was Paul himself. And and it's interesting. You know, you would think that he would describe all these things that he saw, but you know, the thing that catches Paul in there is the things that he heard, words and sounds inexpressible he he couldn't even describe them in human terms there's so much in 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 this next life to experience and uh so first five verses having to deal with life as it was meant uh, to be verse 21 or excuse me chapter 21 let's look at verse 1 it says and he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of god and of the lamb now we studied ezekiel um right and not too many moons ago a few weeks ago or actually a few months ago we were in ezekiel and in chapter 47 we took a look at the millennial temple and uh uh, chapters 47 in Ezekiel, there's a, there's a description and, and it gives us a literal measurements of the, of the temple that will exist during the millennium. And in that temple, there's a river that flows out of there from uh, the altar. That's not this river. That's, I think, a picture of this river. It's like a, a preview of what's coming, coming attractions. This river is the river of life and it proceeds from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Um, it's interesting. When you look at Genesis, you know, that's the beginning of, of time as we know it, the beginning of creation. It's like one bookend. And then you have all this, the books of the Bible talking about life and the Old Testament, you know, the New Testament, the church age, and then you get to Revelation. It's like two bookends. And what was in the beginning, now we see kind of a consummation and a completion there in the end. And in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, there was a river. Uh, in Genesis 2.10, it says, Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. And so that river, sourced in the garden itself, went out and became, uh, you know, it, it grew and became waters that provided, you know, watering and refreshment and anything to the rest of the earth. And that was the river in the garden of Eden. This river source is the throne of God and the throne of Lamb. Of the Lamb. And it's the river of the water of life. Now, does that mean it's a literal river? It's literally water? We don't know. You know, we're just, we don't know. All we know is that it's the river of life. But we do know that it's pure and it's clear as crystal. And I think we can assume this safely that because its source is from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb, it's going to be abundant, it's never going to run dry. Uh, It's never going to be a dry riverbed. It's never ending because it comes from God who is eternal. And it's going to be ultimately satisfying and ultimately refreshing. And it's interesting that it comes from the throne. You know, kings reign off of the throne, from their thrones. And so a throne, when you think of that, it really speaks of authority. And so this river is sourced uh, uh, off of God's throne and, and it speaks of God's authority. And life in all of its completeness and all of its fullness is sourced from God. And life is not experienced in the fullest and the completest sense, even here for you and I, until we are submitted to God's authority. He's the source of our lives. Verse 22, or excuse me, verse 2. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits. Each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree uh, were for the healing of the nations. You know, it says there was the tree of life, and it describes it as being on either side of the street and, uh, and in the middle, um, on either side of the river and in the middle of the street. Uh, either that's a, a humongous tree, or I think it's probably more than one tree of life, but it's called the tree of life. But you know, we'll know when we get there. Um, but just as the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden, you know, now it's reappearing here in heaven, in New Jerusalem. Um, now, like I said, the Garden of Eden, it had one tree in the middle of the garden. Here it seems like, the text seems to indicate that it's multiple trees of life. Um, and it says each tree yielding 12 different fruits. So each month, there's going to be a new fruit in season the tree's never going to be dormant it's never it's always going to have fruit available for you and i to eat now it's interesting you know in the garden before the fall did you know that mankind was vegetarians you no, they didn't eat meat right because sin hadn't entered the world and so nothing was killed and so we just man was uh what is that Herbivore herbivores thank you um so you know we we were vegetarians basically um and it appears that in new jerusalem of course we'll find out there's not going to be any death so there won't be any dead animals there won't be any killing and so but there will be fruit to eat apparently so i hope you like fruit because we'll be eating it um and it says that the leaves will be for the healing of the nations now that right away you think about wait a minute I thought there's no more curse, I thought there's no more sin, there's no more death, there's no more dying. Why do we need leaves for healing in New Jerusalem? The answer is, I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea. But the word healing in the Greek also kind of conveys the idea, actually the word therapeutic comes from it. And so uh, all I think is, Is that uh, the tree will have therapeutic, or the leaves will have therapeutic qualities? It'll it'll be healthy. It'll be it's almost like taking vitamins or something. Um, You know, you look at it. There's nothing that's going to be harmful in New Jerusalem. But again, we'll know when we get there. You know, as a pastor, I'm going through this and I'm trying to explain and trying to show things. And I'm trying to do it based on the Bible. I'm not just saying, well, you know, they're, you know come up with some weird theories and all that stuff. I'm trying to base it on the Bible. But right now, we're seeing in a mirror dimly, right? Uh, it, when we get there, we'll know and it's full of sense. And then you can probably, you know, uh, we don't have cassette tapes or anything. But if you're taking notes, maybe, and, and you end up having, being able to take it up to heaven with you, you can say, hey, Wait a minute, Don. You were wrong. (laughs) It wasn't like that, you know. Look what you you really blew it. No, I'm just kidding, but you know, in the Garden of Eden, after sin entered the world, God stationed an angel with a flaming sword, and he prevented Adam and Eve after the fall. He prevented them from eating fruit of the tree of life. Why? Because if they had eaten of the fruit of the tree of life and had lived in an eternal state, they would have still been in sin. They would have been in their fallen state. And so they would have lived eternally in their corrupt, fallen nature. And that's why God prevented Adam and Eve from eating of the fruit of the tree of life. That's why He sent a garden, uh, an angel there to guard, uh, to keep people from eating there. Because in His grace and in His mercy, right, he, he wasn't going to leave mankind to live forever in His fallen state. But now, sin has been done away with. The curse is gone. And so now, the fruit is available. And it's abundant. And it's like, eat freely. It's there for you. There'll be nothing hindering us from eating uh, from the tree of life at any time. Verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And so, as there is no sin in New Jerusalem, there's also going to be no more curse. And God, the Bible says, you know, He dwells right now in unapproachable light. And He says, no man has seen or can see. Why? Because of our sinful nature. God can't abide with sin in His presence. And so, we have never, no man has ever entered into God's presence as sinful, you know, human beings. But right when we get to New Jerusalem, he's going to be on the throne and he's going to be reigning in full view. And you and I are going to be entering into his presence physically. And you know what what are we going to do when we enter into his presence? The Bible says we're going to be falling down on our knees. We're going to be we're going to be worshiping the Lord God, the twenty four elders you look at them, and they're always bowing down. They're always worshiping the Lord God. We're going to be there doing the same thing. Now, it says here that uh, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and His Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. How are you and I going to serve the Lord God? Again, you kind of go back to the Garden of Eden before the fall. Before the fall, Adam was given dominion, over the old creation. He was placed in the garden to tend it. Uh, you know, sometimes we associate work with the curse, right? It's it's like, well, because sin entered into the world, we all have to work. Well, the fact of the matter is, Adam was given things to do before the fall. Work wasn't a curse back then. Work tending the garden, it wasn't like, you know, I hate gardening right now. I mean, I I, I really have to just... You know, uh, Teresa likes gardening. I can't stand it, but I sometimes have to help her. And so, you know, you get to put the garden gloves on because you don't want to get the thistles, you don't want to get thorns, and you know, you're digging around, pulling weeds, and it can be a lot of work, and it's not fun. I don't. Well, for you, maybe it's fun. I don't like it. It's 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 labor, and uh, but uh, of course, I do enjoy the fruit. I mean, I love the the vegetables, and all I mean, I love the, the what's done, but I just don't like putting in the work to do it because it's toil. But in New Jerusalem, work's not going to be like that. Serving God's going to be a joy. Um, and the thing is, we'll be busy. I, heaven is not you know, I used to have this image, and I, maybe it was from cartoons or television shows, of people just floating around from cloud to cloud, hanging with a harp. you know You have these nice robes on, you get maybe little wings or something. And you're just going around playing a harp. I'm like, that doesn't seem like fun. You're not going to be bored in heaven. You're not going to be bored for eternity. You're going to have things to do and it's going to be a joy to serve God. You're going to be excited about it. Just think about it. You're going to be able to work and without growing weary. You won't need to sleep. You won't need to take a break. You won't need, you won't be breaking a sweat. It's going to be joyful work. Some of you have jobs that you just love. Maybe, is there anybody here? (laughs) You just love and it's like, you just, you just like, I can't wait to get to work. I would do this job if they didn't pay me. I mean, that's, Nobody looks like they think of that right now. There are people, believe me or, believe me or not, that, that love their jobs like that. If you have a job like that, you're blessed. Um, you know, it's like, uh, I would do this even if they didn't pay me. Well, when we get to heaven, it's going to be like that for each one of us. It'll be a joy. You think about this. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam the task of naming all of the animals. Can you imagine how exciting the freedom? It's like Adam, you look at that thing with that long neck and you come up with whatever you want to call it. That's allowing creativity. God was allowing Adam. He gave he he created Adam with that creativity because we're created in God's image. But then he says, Adam, you can go ahead and you have the freedom to express your creativity. Well, that's one of the things that I think is is what people like about their jobs is if they have the freedom to make decisions, right? That's always a nice thing. Instead of being told you do this and then next minute you do that. It's nice to have freedom to be able to kind of like be an adult and kind of make your own, you know, you know you know what you have to do and just let me do it. It's also a joy in a job to be able to have express your creativity. You know, some people their jobs are so defined down to you you put this screw in this place, you tighten it to this place and then you go to the next thing. You know, and and it's so it 's so laid out that it 's kind of boring because you 're not you 're not able to exercise your creativity you 're not able to to make the have the freedom to make your own decisions. Adam was given that creativity when you and I enter in heaven to serve the lord we 're going to be given that creativity I believe we 're going to be allowed to just experience and serve the lord god and, and he 's not going to be like micromanaging us he 's going to give us that freedom it 's going to be a joy to serve the Lord. In heaven. Verse 4 They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Now just think this no curse, no sin. You and I are going to be able to worship the Lord in unhindered fellowship. Now, sometimes in worship, you know, I love to just kind of close my eyes and I like to not focus on what's going on around me in the church. You know when we're doing worship up you know, when when the worship team's up here. I just want to focus on worshiping the Lord. And sometimes worship, you know, it just you, you just enter into this place where it's just it's just sweet to be worshiping the Lord. But you know what? The flesh is still always there because I can be in the middle of worshiping the Lord and all of a sudden I'm thinking about something that has nothing to do with the Lord. My flesh it it hinders me in worshiping the Lord right now. But in heaven, there won't be any sin. We'll be able to worship Him in perfectness, in perfection. And it says that His name shall be on our foreheads. You know, I just, I just think about that. Isn't it nice to belong to something? Isn't it nice to know that you're identified with something or with a group or something? You and I are going to be identified with Jesus Christ God loves you so much, He's going to put His name on you. It's like, you're mine. And I'm going to put my name on you. Everybody's going to know you're mine. That's how much He loves you. He's going to put His identifying mark on us. And we're going to be worshiping Him in unhindered fellowship. There's that one song that we sing here. I love that song. The chorus goes, because there will be a day when all will fade away and all that will remain is loving you face to face. Jesus, I pray that you would come today Faith will be replaced with loving you face to face. That has becoming my one of my more favorite worship songs that we do here at Calvary Chapel. Because I just think about that, you know, right now everything's based on faith. You're reading the Bible, I'm reading the Bible, I'm teaching it to you, and 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 you're looking at and going, okay, you know, Lord, I need the faith for this. Everything we do is based on faith, but there's coming a day when we're going to be in his presence. You won't need faith because you'll be seeing Him. You won't need a Bible because He'll be talking to you. You won't need a pastor because you will be right in front of the Lord. You can just talk to Him. You can ask Him questions. He'll be teaching you. He'll be speaking to you. What a joy that's going to be. Verse 12. Oh, excuse me. No. Verse 5. Well, actually, I have Revelation 3, verse 12. I'll just read it to you. It's in my notes. He who overcomes... Jesus is speaking to the church there in Revelation 3. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He's going to give you his identify and identity. You're his. Verse 5, going back to Revelation 22. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Yesterday, when I was leaving the pastors' conference, or the, I keep saying the pastors' conference, the, the men's conference, um, you know, it was. I got back in three hours last night, but typically I usually plan about four hours on the motorcycle because you break take more breaks and stuff. But uh, I got done. It, it was over around four o'clock, and I'm like, I just got to hit the road because I want to get back before it's dark. Because it's just not fun. You know, the deer are out. This is the season when the deer are out. And and, uh, I don't really enjoy not being able to see real well (laughs) going very fast down a road, you know, (laughs) with you're just on two wheels, you know, it's, it's just you and the and the pavement basically. So I like to get home before it gets dark because, it, you know, it just, things, shadows are kind of deceiving. You, you have difficulty seeing. It's difficult to discern your path. In fact, as I was coming home, uh, I hit, it was great weather yesterday. It was 77 degrees and just, it was gorgeous. Uh, the leaves are starting to change colors. So I just was really enjoying the ride back. Um, and as I was approaching Rochester, it's getting darker and darker and it, by Rochester, but I looked south towards Iowa, and it's just still sunny. The sun's still up, and I'm like, okay. Why is it dark there, and it's sunny there? And I'm like, okay, it must be a storm. And sure enough, I, that storm that hit yesterday, those high winds, I was just pulling into Rochester on the motorcycle. I was like, man, I'm like just barely hanging on, thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get blown over on, the, on my motorcycle. Um, it's no fun being in that kind of a situation. When you and I are in New Jerusalem, there's going to be no darkness. There's going to be no shadows. There's going to be no difficulty seeing or discerning our paths because God is going to provide His light throughout the city. Well, there won't even there won't we won't even need the sun. God will provide light Himself. The other thing about uh, riding a motorcycle, of course, and you maybe you don't experience it as much in a car, but uh, you know this time of the year, if you're in the sunlight. It's warm. But as soon as that sun goes down, it gets cool, you know. And uh, you get out from underneath that sun or you get under a cloud and it's like, oh, it's it's cold. It's not that fun. You get out and then you come out from under a cloud and the sun shining. It's like, oh, it feels so good. And you guys know what it's like, you know, when it's that time of the year when you're coming out and the sun's out. It's, it's great. Um, just think of that, that warmth, that, that, that just that glowing feeling, that, that comfort that you have being underneath the sun. It's going to be never ending in New Jerusalem because the Lord's going to provide that light for you and I. Now, these first five verses is part of that vision that John received there in chapter twenty one, and you know, John, the Apostle John, is sitting there in a prison. He he's on ex actually he's in in exile on the Isle of Patmos when he received this vision. He is one of the uh, twelve apostles. He's the only apostle that wasn't martyred for his faith. Um, But they tried to kill him. They dipped him in a vat of oil and he survived it. Um, And uh, so then they banished him to the Isle of Patmos. So he died a natural death, uh, but he suffered for the Lord. But, you know, so he's been, he's receiving this vision. Now the vision pretty much of what heaven's going to be like is ending at this point. At this point now the angel and Jesus Christ is going to be speaking to him, kind of giving him some final words of encouragement, some final instructions and stuff. And that's because John was still living in today's chapter, in life as we know it today. God had shown him what was going to be coming in the next chapter, in the next age to come. And for you and I, as we read this, we look forward to what we've just talked about in New Jerusalem, but the reality is right now we're here in this life, right? We're here on this side of eternity, and so the things that the angel and that Jesus spoke to John are just encouragements and instruction. And I think for you and I, that's the application. How do, how does all of this impact us? How what do we take with all this? It's just it's nice to think about heaven and all that's coming, but but what do we do right now? And I think that's what the rest of this chapter deals with. So verse six, verse six, excuse me. It says, "Then he said to me." These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy Prophet sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And then either the either Jesus himself speaks here or the angel is quoting the words of Christ, but my Bible, they're red letter, so I think it's Jesus. Verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Jesus is returning soon. You look at the world around you and it, it's like, man, Jesus is coming back very soon. In fact, at, at the end of one of the sessions, one of the, there was an older gentleman there and, and, he, and he had his cell phone and apparently he had, he had some article that he got out of somewhere. And, uh, and he was showing it to people and he goes, look, and this article said that within three years, everyone in the United States is going to have one of those microchips and who knows you know who knows if that's going to be if that's true or not but we know that that's the technology's there and people are already getting implanted with this identification chip and of course he was equating that as you know this is like part of that mark of the beast that one world you know system uh that's coming and all i could think of is if that's coming in three years i don't think we're going to be around for that which means the lord's coming back within three years for the church i'm like cool hey that's exciting but when you know you think about the things that are going on around this world, you can you can look at it in two ways. You're going be very frightened and go, man, the, world, the life as we know it is not going to be the way we know it. It's getting worse and worse. And, and you can get all bummed out and you can get all, you know, oh, this is terrible. But for you and I as a believer, that just means how much sooner does that mean that Jesus is returning for his church? So in a way, it's like, bring it on, man. I'm excited about this. You and I, folks... Are living in one of the most exciting times in the life of the church. I mean, I, I would I would have loved to have been, uh, uh, you know, living there just as Jesus arose from heaven when the church was just growing and expanding. You know, but you know most of those most of those people were martyred for their faith. <laughs> they died. I mean, you can read Fox's book of martyrs talks about it. But you and I, we're living, I think, at the end. And so, you know, you kind of feel sorry for all these believers that have lived in between that because, you know, they were expecting the return of Jesus Christ and it didn't happen in their lifetime and they just, you know, they lived their lives and they they did, you know, whatever they did. Um, But for you and I, I think we're right on the cusp of seeing these things fulfilled. And Jesus says behold I am coming quickly. Now I want to share something with you and if you uh, you know I believe in the in the, the teaching of the rapture of the church and uh, we're not going to get into, I could give you scripture but I'm not going to go into it this morning, but uh, I believe that prophetically there is absolutely nothing standing in the way of the rapture uh, being fulfilled prophetically. There's nothing that's preventing that from happening. And uh, And so you know, Jesus is coming back soon. But that word soon, uh, it's the word word quickly, I should say. It could be more accurately rendered suddenly. So, you know, Jesus wanted each successive generation of believers to be looking for and expecting his return, because prophetically it could happen at any time, the rapture of the church. But not only is Christ's return imminent and soon, but it will be sudden, and I think that 's the other point that Lord was trying to get across. Remember last week we were in Genesis or excuse me uh, Daniel chapter four in Daniel chapter four, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream, and the interpretation was that he would be driven from men and he would live for seven years as a wild like a wild beast, basically, and it was fulfilled, of course. At the end of that interpretation, Daniel, you know, here's Daniel, a servant of the Lord God, and here's this Gentile pagan king, and Daniel loves him and cares for him. And Daniel says, oh, king, if you would just turn from your wickedness, if you would be merciful to the poor, maybe God will prevent this. Maybe God will hold off on his punishment. I mean, that should be our cry to the world around us, like, you know what, there's God 's going to judge sin, but man, if you would just turn from your sin right now, you could you could avoid that judgment. Well, Daniel pleaded with Nebuchadnezzar to return from his sin. Nebuchadnezzar didn't, and you know he he probably because Daniel had accurately predicted things in the or interpreted things in the past, so he 's probably thinking, okay, wakes up the next morning, oh, okay, I wonder what 's going to happen. Nothing happened. A week passes, nothing happens. Pretty soon a month 's gone by. Nothing's happened. More months gone by. Seasons gone by. Pretty soon, 12 months have gone by and nothing's happened. It says, Then one day Nebuchadnezzar was looking over his kingdom and he said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling place, or for royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And the Bible says, While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and at that moment he lost his mind for seven years and lived like a wild beast. The point being, Jesus Christ's return is sudden, or excuse me, imminent, but it will also be sudden. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and, and we you know, you've heard me teach about, you know, Jesus could come back any time and 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 people in our generation, our culture, they, they've heard that from the church. Jesus is coming back soon, but what, what does uh, Peter say in the last days? They're going to say, well, "Where is this, the promise of his coming? It hasn't happened yet." And people can grow complacent. Even as Christians, we can grow complacent. It's like he hasn't come back. You know, they said he was going to come back in eighty-eight. He hasn't. You know, they, all these people that foolishly try to predict when Jesus Christ is returning, and he doesn't happen, and they go, oh, "What's the deal?" And, and you start growing complacent. But the thing is, when he returns. It's going to be sudden. People are not going to have uh, the chance to suddenly turn their lives around, to suddenly start living for the Lord because it's going to be so sudden. So we need to live our lives in expectancy and in preparation of his return. And Jesus says, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That means blessed is he who attends to carefully who takes care of, who guards the prophecies, who observes the prophecies of this book. Jesus is calling you and I to obedience. You know, if we truly believe in our hearts that His return is coming soon and it will be sudden, we don't want to be caught in disobedience. We don't want to be in a place in our lives where we're grieving the Holy Spirit. The Bible says as Christians we can grieve the Holy Spirit by when we're in, our, when we're in sin and when we're in the flesh. We don't want to be like it. I, I don't want to be in a place where I'm embarrassed when Jesus Christ returns. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. Verse 8, Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. You, you, you put yourself in John's shoes. He's heard the voice of the Lord several times. He's seen the throne of God. He's seen angels. He's talked to angels. He's seen the multitude of, of creation, the, the multitude of the host of heaven worshiping the Lord. He's heard all these things. He's seen all these things. He's just overwhelmed. And so this angel starts talking and whether Jesus was speaking or whether the angel was quoting Jesus, John, it's just overwhelming. John just gets down on his ground and he starts worshiping. Uh, yeah, I think any one of us would have done the same thing. It's so overwhelming the angel though corrects him verse 9 then he said to me see that you do not do that for i am your fellow servant and of your brethren who uh, the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book worship god do you and i keep the words of this book you know when he says worship god w- what did we do before i came up here we worshiped right we had a time of worshiping the Lord and, and singing praises to Him and thanking Him and praying to Him. And that is worshiping God. But you know what? There's more to it than than just singing songs and praising the Lord. Worshiping God is also obeying Him. Remember what Samuel told Saul? He says, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. We can be raising up our hands and worshiping the Lord all we want, but if we're in disobedience to Him, it's not worship. When you and I are worshiping Him, we're obeying Him. So I just want to encourage you there. Verse 10, Then He said to me, Do not seal the words of these, of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now we have not finished the book of Daniel on Sundays, but when we get to the words, towards the end of Daniel, Daniel's going to be instructed to seal up the words of the prophecy until the time of the end. Why? Well, because it was still so far in the distant future. But John's revelation is to remain unsealed. Why? Because on this side of Calvary, the fulfillment of these prophecies is at hand. Verse 11, "...he who is unjust, let him be unjust still." He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. I think what John is being told here, what he's being communicated here, is kind of along the lines of what Paul wrote in First and Second Corinthians. In First 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You and I are the fragrance of Christ both to to believers and to unbelievers. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. That's the unbelievers. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And I think what... uh, the lord is trying to communicate to john through this angel is don't keep these prophecies hidden proclaim them because he is returning soon but realize this john there're going to be those who are going to reject the message don't don't give up don't grow disheartened people are going to say no they're going to they're going to close the door on you they they don't want to hear the lord about the lord jesus christ right up until the time of eternity there're going to those be those who reject him well, this verse also kind of seems to kind of convey something else too. You know, let him be, uh, it says, let him be, uh, he was unjust, let him be unjust still. He was filthy, let him be filthy still. And I think what this could also seem to indicate is, you know, after when when, when those who have rejected Jesus Christ over and over and over again and they wind up, because Jesus, God doesn't send anyone to hell. They end up going to hell by rejecting him. When they end up on the lake of fire, I don't think at that point they're going to go, oh, I was wrong, I repented, you know, Lord, forgive me now, and it, of course it'll be too late. But I don't think they're even going to get to that point. I think what this is pointing to, and there's other scriptures I think that kind of seem to indicate it too, is man is just going to continue, in wicked man in, in hell is just going to continue to become more and more wicked, and more and more Hateful, and more and more just gross. They're going to continue and grow increasingly wicked forever and ever. You know, there's a uh, a teaching going out there right now um, that talks about the fact that you know th- that hell is not forever. It's just, it's just a temporary period of time. And there's some there's some teachers that are out there teaching that. It's it's that's a lie itself from the pit of hell. That's a deception out there. Um, hell is forever; it's eternal. I mean that that should that alone, knowing that people in this community that are that are not living for the Lord, that have not surrendered their lives to the Lord, they're going to be an eternity that way. There's there's never going to be an opportunity other than right now to turn and repent of their sins. That, that's very sobering. But on the same token. If that's true what I just said, on the same token, you and I, the saint in heaven, are going to continue to grow in godliness and grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. You know, sometimes I look at my life and, 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 and it's good to do this once in a while. It's good to take kind of a toll and go, go, you know, kind of examine myself and go, you know, am I more mature as a believer now than I was 12 months ago? Am I closer to the Lord? Am I more in love with him? Am I, am I serving him more now than I did before? And it's really, it's a good, it's a good thing to examine our hearts that way. Uh, but in heaven, I think we're going to continue. That answer is going to be yes. We're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to, uh, there's just going to be so much to experience there and so much to learn and so, much to th- so many ways to serve the Lord. Uh, understand this. Heaven's not gonna static place. It's dynamic. It's life. It's changing. It's 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 gonna be joyful, and it's not a not a okay. This is fun. We got to be here for eternity. No, it's gonna be, it's gonna be like this is awesome. You know, sometimes we go to these uh, conferences, these pastors conferences, or or you go to a retreat, or you do something. Maybe you go on a vacation, and it's like, man, this is so fun i wish it wouldn't end but what happens right your anticipation of going seems like it takes forever to get to something then you get there and you experience and it's like it's over it's already time to go back i gotta go back to work the next day or you know it's a bummer because those things end what you and i experience joyful in heaven it's never going to end it's never going to be like well i gotta go to work next morning you know it's not and it'll be continually growing and expanding. in fact, isaiah nine seven says, the increase of his government and peace uh, excuse me, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There'll be no end to the increase of his government, and no increase to the end of there will be no end to the increase of peace. So heaven won't be static. Verse twelve, and behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. You know, if you and I realize, if we understand, if we truly believe that Jesus' return is imminent, and it's not only imminent, but sudden, man, we're going to want to be about the Lord's business. We're going to want to be about reaching out to the lost in our generation. You know, back a number of years ago, there was a guy in Chicago, and uh, he had got a temporary job and uh, he decided uh, to get to his temporary job he was going to cross the tri-state tollway I don't know if you've ever been on those tollways uh, but they're like eight lanes you know you know or I don't know how many lanes but there's a lot of lanes of traffic you know uh, and traffic going into Chicago or coming out of Chicago is terrible I don't know if there's ever a good time maybe two in the morning or so but it's always saying well this guy his job was on the other side of the tollway And so he thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to walk to work. I just have to go across this tollway. And so he uh, decided to cross the tollway. And he made it across the northbound lanes without getting hit by a car. Can you imagine that? He made it across. He got to the median. He was getting ready to cross the southbound lanes, and his hat blew off his head. And he ran back to chase his hat. He got killed by a (laughs) semi-truck. Just chasing after a hat. He outlost his life. You know, sometimes I think you and I are like that. Pursuing those things that are temporary in this life. Chasing after these things. Uh, you know, I'm chasing after this. I want the... You know, we're looking at these things that are... that The Bible says, this is all going to burn. It's temporary. Why are we focusing on those? Why are we not seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness? We're like that guy chasing the hat into oncoming traffic. And we want to be about the Lord's business. Just as Christ's return is not only imminent and His judgment is sudden, so His reward will be sudden. He says, I'm coming back and my reward is with me in my hand. I used to work, you know, my job that I used to have years ago uh, when I first started it, weekly I'd get paychecks. That was kind of nice. Every Friday you could expect to see your manager and he'd have a, your paycheck, you know, yours your for the, for the week. So you worked a week and you got a paycheck, and that was kind of nice. Then they decided they wanted to save money on, you know, on, on stuff, so they said, we're going to pay you every other week. And it's like, oh, that, it really took, you know, you, you got to budget a little bit more. Some of you maybe you only get paid monthly, I don't know, but it, it's, it's kind of hard. you got to kind of plan for it. And, you know, it's a bummer to work and then you have to wait till you get paid or you send in a rebate, you know, and you have to wait 8 weeks for it to come back, you know. Then you get this check in the mail. It's like, "What? It's che- oh, that's right. 8 months, 8 weeks ago I sent something, you know, in to get a rebate. It's 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 a bummer to wait for something that you've earned. Jesus says, "I'm coming back, and my rewards with me to hand it to you." What does that mean for you and I? That means that as you and I are serving the Lord right now in the body, as we are doing things for the kingdom, he's paying attention to it. And he's preparing your reward. You're not going to have to wait for a reward. He's going to say, here, you did all those things here. This is for you. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Anything that you do for the Lord and the body of Christ right now as believers, he is tallying it up. He, You are going to be getting rewarded for it, and He's going to have it with you. What does that mean? That means He's watching you and I. He's paying attention to how we live our lives. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. These verses, those, those phrases are used throughout... Uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, that word, for the phrase first and last, it's not only used in Revelation, but it's also used in Isaiah. And in some places, they're referring to Jehovah. Jehovah is speaking that. In here in Revelation, clearly, it's Jesus Christ who's referring, who's, who's saying this or is referring to Jesus Christ. This is undeniable proof that Jesus is God. You know, some of the cults, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they they believe in Jehovah as well. I don't know if it's the same Jehovah that we do, but they believe in Jehovah. But Jesus is not God. You know, they don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. If you ever have a Jehovah Witness, try you know sit down and you talk to them. Take them to those scriptures. Go to the old, go to the book of Isaiah. Go to go to some of these other books in the Old Testament where Jesus says I or where God says I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last and beginning and, and say who's saying those the things? And their response is going to be Jehovah. This is clear. See the Old Testament; Jehovah is speaking those things. Take him to the Book of Revelation. The same words, the same phrases. Say, like, "Well, who's saying that?" It's Jesus. Jesus is God, so it's undeniable proof that Jesus is God. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. You know, He's the beginning, uh, the beginner in, in terms of creation, right? Jesus spoke creation into existence, and He is also here. He's the, He was there before Genesis, and he'll be here after Revelation. And he's the beginning and the finishing, or the finisher of our salvation, the Bible says. Verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. So the Lord says, blessed are those who keep who do His commandments. So what commandments do you and I have to do? Ask someone who's a legalist. What, do I, what are the commandments I have to do? And they'll give you a list. I'll do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Then you'll be all right. You can ask someone who's trying to earn their own salvation. You know, how do you, how do you get to heaven? Well, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you don't do this, you don't do that, and you'll get in. People can come up with their own lists. What are his commandments that you and I are to do that, to allow us into the into new Jerusalem? John 6:28. Says then they said to him, "What shall we do that we may do the works of God?" And Jesus answered and said to them, "This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent." That's that's the work that you have to do. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him. Now it's funny. I've been I've shared with people that, you know, I've, I've shared the gospel with people as I'm sure you have before. And sometimes you get the responses, "Yeah, I know Jesus is the Savior, and I believe He's God." You know, and, and they say all those things, and yet you look at their lives and go, "Wait a minute! You say you believe that, but there's <laughs> there's no fruit in your life. There's 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 no evidence of transformation. And and just putting your faith in Christ. When you and I become a born again believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit fills you. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. The Bible says He's a sign and seal of our salvation. And He, the minute you accept Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. When If you die, you go to heaven. I mean, to be absent from the Lord, or to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. In a moment, you'll be in His presence. So you're a sanctified saint. You're a saint right now. As God looks at you, He sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit also does that work of sanctifying to make us more like Jesus as we're living our lives. And so if you have faith in Christ Jesus, there should be evidence of that life and of that faith and of that presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. There should be a transforming, you know, evidence of transformation in a person's life. Uh, 1 Peter 4, I want to read this to you. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And if you and I truly believe that Jesus Christ is coming back soon, we're going to be striving for holiness in our lives. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And so, Jesus here, he's speaking to John, of course, but he's also speaking to the seven churches, and he's speaking to you and I, the church in the 21st century. He's the root of David, that's referring to his divine nature. He's the offspring of David, that's referring to his human nature. And he's the bright and morning star, the the, the star that ushers in the daylight. And so Jesus is the promised Messiah. He's also the Savior, he's the Son of God. And when he returns, he will be the one that ushers in the eternal glory of his everlasting kingdom. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Uh, This is the Bride. That's you and I, the church. This is the Holy Spirit saying, Come, Lord Jesus. I don't know if you're like that right now. It's like, Lord, I just wish you'd come back today. I'll be honest with you. There was a time in my life as a believer where I was like, I wasn't like, Come, Lord Jesus. I'm like, Wait, Lord Jesus. I don't have, you know, I, I'm not ready for your return. But I don't want to live my life that way. I hope you don't either. Paul, in his words, last words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he's sharing, he's pouring out his heart to young Timothy. He knows that his time on earth is short. He says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. They loved his appearance. I'm I, I just anxiously awaiting Christ's return. Do you love his, reappear, his appearing this morning? Are you anxious? Are you looking for his return? Verse 18, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away the words from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. What a warning that is. It's a warning for all of us to heed, of course, but it's also that much more a warning for teachers and preachers of the word. Proverbs 36 says, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. And you know, there are false teachers, and they add to his words. They say, you know, salvation, yeah, it's it's, it's faith in Christ Jesus But it's also this. You put your faith in Christ and this, and then you'll be saved. And they they add things to the gospel. They add things to the good news of Jesus Christ and what salvation is. And they are going to be rebuked and be found a liar. Don't add to his words. But it also says don't take away from his words. And you know, there are teachers... And they're, you know, I don't have any doubt that they're Christians. I have no, I don't question their salvation at all. Um, But there are people who take the book of Revelation and they just make it an allegory. Oh, it's just all, it's not, this isn't the literal. This is, you can't take it literal. It's just, it's too, it's too symbolic of all this stuff. And there's some pastors say, I won't even teach from it because I man, I don't even understand it. It's just, it's just, it's just all allegory. I think that's taking away from the word of the Lord too. I think it's a warning too. Um, you know, for you and I, and I don't say this lightly and I don't say this in any kind of sense of pride, but I want you to understand this. Calvary Chapel, the tradition of Calvary Chapel, the, the distinctive of Calvary Chapel is teaching through the Word of God. It's not just, I just don't teach from the Word of God, it's teaching the Word of God. It's just going through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, simply. There's not that many churches that do that, Folks. It, it, really, and, and like I said, it's, it's not to pump me up, it's not to pump up this church itself, but I want you to understand, this is, it's such a vital thing, and it's good to be a part of that. So back in verse 17, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, of course, and the bride, which is you and I, were crying out, come, come, Lord Jesus. In verse 20, Jesus responds, it says, He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming. And John's reply in closing is, Amen, Lord. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And then he closes the book of Revelation with this, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And uh, I'm going to close with that to you as well. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You know, I I hope you're excited. I hope you're encouraged this morning. Jesus Christ is returning soon. Um, You know, we should be preparing our lives here on earth for what it's going to be like in the ages to come. And so I want to encourage you in that way. And, uh, you know, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary. Don't get discouraged in serving the Lord. Uh, don't be like the guy chasing his hat across traffic. You know, what a what a, what a waste. He made it that far and then he, and then he chased after something and, and he ended up losing everything. Don't be like that let's let's live for the lord especially knowing that his return is is